0: Visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Check out all the incredible content that Coach Collins has at teachhoops.com. But again, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Support the show and learn and grow at the same time. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio.
1: Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, a JV coach, a college coach, a JUCO coach, a high school coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest.
0: You know, Chris, I've, I've said it for years. You you are just master <laughs> of the tease. I mean, just I, I don't know if our listeners have figured that out yet, but whenever you do your read, pay close attention so the last part of that, if it's CYO coach, we've yet to have the, the coach that uh, just rolls the balls out. We, we'll, we'll find one of those coaches one day, but that is not today. We have a former uh, JUCO coach. And he is now the head varsity coach at Otsego High School in Michigan. Coach Matt Dennis, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Otsego,
1: Michigan. Who would ever thought the little podcast that could would reach all the way to Otsego, Michigan? How big a town is Otsego, Coach? Well, we've got about
2: 7,000 residents that live here. People or? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Well, yeah, we like to count them as people. We got about 750 kids in the, in the high school. So it's, it's um, our high school is a division two high school in Michigan. So it's kind of the second tier in terms of how big it is. The second
1: biggest or second smallest? Uh,
2: Second largest. We go division one is your biggest. Division two, three, and four. Okay. That's interesting. That's a little reversed. All right. (laughs) Yeah. A little different than the way some other states do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, coach. So why don't you take us through kind of just run down your resume of coaching for us and, and how you got to where you are today at Otsego?
2: Sure. Well, coming out of high school, I was kind of a big fish in a small pond as a player and found myself uh, coming down to Kalamazoo, which i see goes just 10 miles north of Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, but played at uh, Kalamazoo Valley Community College uh, for Dick Schultz. And what I always wanted to do was get into coaching. So when I finished my sophomore year, my second year there, uh, his assistant coach was leaving and he knew I wanted to get into it and asked, hey, Matt, would you think of staying at Western Michigan University, finish up your degree there and help me coach? And that was like perfect. That's everything that I wanted to, to do. So I, I kind of hung up my playing shoes at that point, jumped on as his assistant coach, was there for five years. Uh, absolutely loved every moment I got to spend in the program doing everything from you know the recruiting to sweeping the gym floor to anything else I had to go on. Uh from there, I actually took kind of a hiatus for a couple of years. I started a family of my own, had to, you know, get a full-time job. I still worked at the college. I got a full-time job there, but I wasn't able to coach. Um, and then through a job change, things opened back up and I was, uh, Coach Schultz retired. And I applied for the head coaching job there, was hired as the head coach at KVCC, did that for four years. Um, again, loved the time, loved the school, all, all that stuff. And then it was really a matter of where do I want to put the majority of my time? Is it going to be, you know, into being gone late nights, doing recruiting, doing scouting, doing all that stuff that comes along with being a college basketball coach? At the JUCO level, you guys probably already know, um, you have to do it all yourself. There, there aren't GAs and there aren't a bunch of assistant coaches to do it. So a lot of it falls on, on you as the head coach. And uh, I had a young family at the time and I just made the decision, I, you know, I've got to spend some more time at home. I was tired of getting up in the morning. The kids are in bed, get home at night. The kids are in bed and uh, that season just gets to be so long uh, in college. So I, I, I stepped away for a year and just so happened that our local high school needed a coach. And I got an email from somebody in town saying, Hey, would you ever think about, you know, coaching at the high school? So I, I, you know, sent in my information to the athletic director and, you know, few short weeks later. I'm hired as the coach of Otsego High School, and I've been here going into my fifth year now. So that's kind of a quick rundown of where I started and, and where I'm at. All right,
1: Brian, getting the trivia question out of the way right off the bat. Perfect. Coach Dennis, if you've listened to some episodes, you know I asked Brian a trivia question. He never gets right, so don't answer <laughs> this question. Yep. Brian, what Hall of Fame all-time baseball New York Yankee great went to Kalamazoo Central High School?
0: Well, I know it's not the great Bobby Robert Richardson from the great Sumter, South Carolina. I do know that's that. Uh, I'm just just gonna take a, a wild swing and say Mickey nah, Man. No, he's from Commerce,
1: <laughs> Oklahoma. The Commerce Comet. Oh, that's right. Come on, yeah, I knew no. Derek <laughs> Sanderson <laughs> Jeter. Oh, okay, okay.
0: I know, that's Coach right. Dennis. He you knew that, right?
2: I did. He, he went to the same high school that I teach at. So we had oh, okay. De- junior <laughs> baseball field right at Kalamazoo Central uh, High School. Well, who
1: else would it be named after, right? That's right. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> coach, talk about those. You said you stepped away from coaching to start a family, and then the JUCO job kind of got to be too much time. What did you do in those years to kind of stay involved in coaching, stay involved in the game?
2: Well, I, I kind of took two breaks there. The one was in between being an assistant coach at KVCC, then jumping into the head coach. Um, And I still was involved in the program when it came to recruiting players. Uh, If it came to scouting, you know, I I would volunteer my time whatever way I could to help the program. I even did a little announcing. They had some, um, the local TV station did some stuff. And I did a little broadcasting on there from time to time. It it was just a a mix and match of whatever they needed. And that's how the JUCO world works is you do the best you can (laughs) with what you have. So I was glad to help. Uh, Cause I couldn't be there full time. And then I had to jump from being a, a head juco coach to taking a year off. And that's really where I decided for my family to take that year off. And I wasn't really planning to get back into coaching. Um, it was something I wanted to do, but I just didn't know when the door was going to open up. And that was a, a tough decision. I can remember, you know, very vividly standing there in front of the players telling them, you know, in tears telling the guys I wasn't coming back next year, guys that I had recruited into the program who I thought were really buying into what we were doing. And for me to say, you know, I've decided not to come back was an extremely emotional and tough decision for me. But I had, you know, three kids, two in the elementary school and one wasn't in school yet. And I was just spending too much time away from home and too much time away from my wife. And uh, she was extremely supportive, which has been great. I think you have to have that if you're going to be coaching at any level, have a supportive spouse. Uh, but I just felt bad every night I was leaving and not getting back in time to put him to bed and things like that. So ultimately I decided to just step away and, and see what God had planned for me and what direction I was going to be going. And it, it surprisingly only took a year, um, but that just fell in my lap. And I figured that was, you know, we talked over with my wife and th- this is a good opportunity. Let's give it a shot. It's high school, shorter season. Uh, we don't have to travel as much not as much time in the recruiting. There's no recruiting anyways. Uh, so no recruiting, the scouting is a lot less, and and it really just worked out.
0: Yeah, I, I talked to guys, Chris, I think it's a great question. I talked to guys a lot that uh, have been coaches and they move into different roles around athletics, and they, they'll ask, like, hey, do you think I'll ever be able to get back into coaching, and just to hear – things come full circle for you just to kind of see that door just keep opening and opening and opening, I think it's a great thing. And it speaks to who you are as a person here. we've gotten to know you here for the last 17 minutes or so, and I can already tell that you're just a solid, uh, even keel type guy. And so I'm, I'm really interested in your answer to this question. I haven't asked it in many, many episodes, but how do you define success for each team that you coach?
2: Well, Every year, you know, we go into, it doesn't matter what team I'm coaching, uh, the goal is always to build, you know, young men who are, you know, better in character, better in their decision making, better, you know, for what they're going to find in life. And if I I stick to that, I think I'm going to do okay in the win-loss column because everything we do is driven by the decisions that we're making and how we're affecting those around us. And I try to, to do the same thing with, with my life. I try to portray it to the players that I'm coaching. Uh, I try to use it whenever I get a chance to talk with our youth program or I have to get an opportunity to go into a classroom. Is, it's not about us, but it's about how well we can influence and we can work with the people around us. And, and we've just had tremendous success at both schools, uh, having that message get out there and guys buying into it.
0: That's the thing about yeah, – I, I fell into coaching cross country. Our listeners will know that. I recount this this story every every few episodes or so, but I, I never really talked to them about, about the winning. And we have trophy after trophy after trophy, but it was just about, hey, can we just be the best version of ourselves today and push each other and work together in the community? And the, like you said, the winning takes care of itself. And it's so hard, I think, for young coaches. I know I was a young coach at the time just – Wanting to take the winning off the shelf, and our our last episode with Manny at uh, Michigan State talked about this—the game within the game. So, can we break those things down to just those life skills in this case, and let the winning take care of itself? I, I think it's a very powerful message. But Chris, I wanted to jump in before you ask your your next Pulitzer Prize-winning question or whatever um, podcast yeah. awards are.
1: No, no, that's brilliant by you, Brian. No, it's a good observation. No, totally, I agree. Um, Coach, the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games. You gave us a couple, one at the community college, one at Otsego. Uh, You can tell us about both. Uh, We'll ask you some follow-up questions. But take us in the gym. I believe uh, one at the junior college was against Toledo, uh, Owens, community college. Take us in that, uh, you know, Michigan-Ohio rivalry. We know that on the highest level of Michigan-Ohio State. But there's always bad blood when Michigan teams play Ohio teams. Tell us about that game.
2: Well, it it does have a little bit of a personal feel for it uh, for me because the coach at Toledo Owens Community College was a a rival high school player of mine when I played in high school. I love this. He stole your girlfriend. I love it. What happened? What's the (laughs) so now? Luckily, uh, I've I've come out on the winning side more times than I haven't. (laughs) Um, But Dave Clark was was at Toledo Owens and was doing a phenomenal job down there and. I was in my second year at, at KVCC. My first year, uh, we went 8-21 and 21 overall. That's not anything that you, you want to tell too many people. Um, but I came in with one, one returning player off of a team that had just made a national tournament. And, and basically, I got hired in June. You don't, re- you don't recruit high school players to come to college in June. You know they're already made their decisions, so we're holding open gyms, selecting players that first year. Well, my second year, we got a chance to get out to the high school games and and really convince some kids to buy into what we were doing, and so we've got some talent now. But we we're coming off an eight and twenty one year. There isn't a whole lot going on in terms of momentum for us. So Toledo comes to town, and they rank number five uh, in the JUCO national rankings, and that's our first opportunity to play a nationally ranked opponent to see what we can do. And we end up playing a a great game. I didn't have any division one players uh, on our team. We had some good players that went on to play at four-year schools, but no, you know, studs, Uh, Toledo Owens came in with James Kelly, who went on to play at at Miami. Uh, But then that was their main guy. So for them to come in and for us to have an opportunity to win you know, at the end of the game, I remember they they called the timeout. We hadn't played any any press at all whatsoever, and we're up by a couple of points. They called timeout. We decided to put a two-two-one on them uh, in about the last minute of the game, and it, it flustered them and got us over the top. But it was one of those they they probably watched every single game that we had, and we hadn't played a two-two-one at all. So it was just you know kind of a little bit of a gamble. How can we switch it up and throw them off? And it did just enough. Um, I can remember the last. You know, play the game where the guy throws the, the ball from half court trying to make a desperation shot and misses it. But our guys were just ecstatic to, to get on the map, and that's what gave us confidence. And it really rolled us that year and into the next year into a, a national rankings, a national spotlight, and Juco being ranked in the top 10 both years consistently every single week. We had a couple of um, national players of the week, um, and, and things like that. But that one game. I think the guys started to believe that we could actually do this. We could actually make some noise, and so that's why that game is so memorable for me because we had a really nice run, a really nice streak there of games and to play and win.
1: Did you have that game sort of marked in your mind or the coach's mind? You know, did you give the uh, did you give the Jim Valvano, you know, your family, your religion, and Kalamazoo <laughs> Valley Community College basketball speech before that one or?
2: It, well, for, for me personally, it was having a coach that I had played against and had we had known each other and, and just competed since you know, middle school and high school and, and now at the college level it was kind of a neat experience for me. You know, there wasn't any bad blood, but there certainly was just some pride, I think, there in, in going head-to-head again. Uh, for the players, you know, my message is always the same. If, if you guys will buy into each other, that we'll have a chance. There's enough talent in this room. There's enough talent sitting right here for you guys to go in and compete. Now it's up to you to compete and to, to take this one home and to get the win. You know, as a coach, I think sometimes we can take credit for things that we're not on the floor playing. We'll put you in the position, but you've got to perform. And, and the guys, they did, they they performed down the stretch. They listened in timeouts. I mean, everything about that game, uh, the way that I remember it is, they, they just did things the right way. And when guys pay attention and they're unselfish and they do it the right way, I think you've got a chance. So, so I, I'm not a real big rah-rah guy. I don't yell very much from the sidelines. I'm not super animated. I'm probably quite boring to watch coach because I want the players to be in the spotlight. They put the hard work in. They put the time in. It's your time to shine, guys. I'm going to make the adjustments to help you get there, but you guys are going to be the ones who do it. I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> um, very animated, <laughs> and, and a lot. It's there's nothing wrong with it. I think when when coaches, uh, you think about what you want to be like as a coach, and I watch you know the Jim Valvano's running around, and you watch uh, even Tom Izzo, you know who gets so fiery and stuff. You know the, I have some of those emotions, but I, I just don't show them in the same way. And we, you have to be yourself. If you're an animated coach, you got to be animated and your kids need to know that's authentically you. If you're not, you're cool, calm, collected or whatever you want to be. You have to be that because that's authentically who you are.
1: Am I an animated person, Brian? Would you say that? I thought
0: that was your middle name. Is that is? <laughs> legitimately, I thought on your birth certificate. No, yeah. But, uh, I mean, like you say, Coach, there's, there's no right or wrong there but that. And you mentioned Tom Izzo immediately. I'm thinking red-faced, sweaty Tom <laughs> Izzo on the sidelines. You know, and that works for him. But, like you said, just be true to who you are. And, again, uh, with Manny Dosanju, our episode last, um, talking about just staying true. Just stay true to who you are. You know, and, and it's the old adage that kids – kids are going to see through it. You know, if, if you're, if you're trying to be animated and you're just not an animated guy, like, okay, so uh, it's okay. Like, just, just be true to, true to who you are. I think that's just the, the, the main, main important thing
2: there. Now I'll, I'll share a quick story with my first year coaching at KVCC. I, I'm trying to figure out who I am. I, although I had been an assistant for five years, the assistant is a completely different role. When you move over one seat, you know, there's just so many decisions that you have to make. Uh, and at the college level, Uh, scholarship money. How do you break that up? You know, it's not just playing time anymore. There's a lot more that goes into it, but I remember getting back from a a game and I heard on another podcast um, of what your one cringeworthy moment that you had as a coach. And this would be mine is we got back from a game where we just played horribly and I made the guys practice and uh, it wasn't very long, but you know, I tried to be fiery and in your face and whatever during this practice. I'm going to get it across to these guys. And there are two things that happened there. One is that's not me as a coach. So it was so forced and it was so draining of my energy. <laughs> it, you know, I just I, I can't do that. And the second thing uh was we just weren't that good. I mean, it didn't matter <laughs> what I was going to do. <laughs> we, we just didn't have the players. They tried hard, but uh, we, were, we got players out of open gyms and we played like we were out of an open gym. Um, we just didn't have the players to compete at the college level. So two things I had to recognize as a young coach, be yourself and you got to have the horses you know, in the race to, to have a chance
0: that's so true chris was on the receiving end a lot of times in my first two years of coaching of girls basketball I'm like why can't we do certain things you know and there's no disrespect to those girls we just we weren't very skilled in a lot of areas and i'm sitting there screaming my head off like we need to do and it, okay it just it just didn't work you know we we, we did everything that we could do but anyway yeah. speaking of high school go ahead and take us to your second greatest game this one sounded like a great one here so your second greatest game coach <laughs>
2: Well, the the second one has kind of a similar theme is, you know, when do the players start believing in the program that they can actually make, make some noise and they can be recognized for their ability on the floor. And it's, it's when we won our first conference championship, but it extends back to the beginning of the season. We had played a school called Dwajajak High School, and they've had a very good kind of track record in our, in our league, in the Wolverine conference, every year being competitive, being up towards the top. And they came into to our place and they beat us. Um, I think it was by six points in the second game of the year. And as a coach, I had to take a look and say, what did we do wrong and, and how can we do, do it better? And what I came down to was I substituted the players wrong. I, I left guys on the floor for too many minutes. They're too tired. They're not hitting their shots. They're not hitting their free throws. Uh, We started to not play what I would consider Otsego basketball, which is ball movement, you know, finding the open man, taking the open shot uh, kind of thing. Um, And then on defensively, we like to get after it on defense and, and press. And I thought our press broke down and it was because they're playing too long. So I take a look at that game and I change the way that I start subbing players. And from that point on, we go on an 18 game win streak and that 18th game of the, the regular season was our conference championship. That conference championship game matched us up with, uh, or with Dwaziak again. So it was Otsego versus Dwayak. Uh They again had to come to our place, thankfully, to play that game. But our guys had, we we got a rhythm down we got a way that we substituted. Guys knew how long they were going to be in the game. Approximately, we we knew what to expect from each other, and it really became there was no one stud. I had three sophomores on that team. I think I had three or four juniors on that team and a couple of seniors. Uh, n- none of them were guys that were going to carry us. So nobody averaged over twelve points a game. And as we're on this win streak, we get ranked in the top ten in Division Two in Michigan. And, you know, guys start feeling pretty good about it. Then we go into this conference championship game. And it's just a back and forth the, the entire game. And the, the players really dug in at the end. They made the adjustments we had to make. They, they made the plays we had to make down the stretch. And we end up winning the game by five points. And that's the first conference championship while I'm, you know, at Otsego. And, and just seeing the way that we changed from the second game of the year to that district champ or that, excuse me, that conference championship game um, just, just was huge. And, and that got us in a trajectory in our program moving forward. Since that time, we, we haven't lost a conference game. So December, beginning of December in 2017, is the last conference game that we've lost. And our guys have just continued to buy in the system. You know, we get a few that graduate and we get a few more that come up that haven't played. And it just kind of is a cycle and, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to get on the floor this year and see if we can continue to keep that going. But that game in a lot of ways helped us not only move forward with me as a coach and how to play the players and sub them, but moved our entire program forward. These, these kids in little Otsego that nobody really pays attention to now all of a sudden is state ranked and, you know, we're beating teams consistently. And it, it's just been a lot of fun. It's made the ride really enjoyable mm-hmm to see these kids come in and then believe in what we're doing. Ryan, we
1: need to get crummier coaches on. He hasn't lost a conference game since 2017.
0: Jesus, I would say that's that's pretty solid. I mean, I, you
1: know. I lose conference games like people change
2: underpants. <laughs>
1: <Jeez>. <laughs> well, we,
2: we've, you know, we, we've been blessed. Those three sophomores that I had, you know, in 2017, you know, eventually became juniors and seniors yeah. <laughs> and this was their senior year. They didn't get worse over that time. And we graduated those three guys this past season. Uh, It was unfortunate the way that it happened. You know, we got shut down. We're going into the district championship game and uh, we're, we've got a team that I think can make a a run in the state tournament. And all of a sudden you're, you're canceled. You don't get to play because of COVID and that, that was unfortunate for those players. Uh, But we've got some young talent that's coming in. And we've got some guys that are ready to prove themselves. They had to sit and wait their turn. And, you know, I'm hoping that this season we get some games and those players can see what they can do and hopefully they can keep it alive. If they can't, you know, that's, that's all right. We'll keep doing things the way that we're doing them, but, but it's fun to look back and for those players to have some pride. And when they step on the floor, there's an expectation that we're going to play well and we're going to compete. That wasn't, the case so much when I first started in Seagull wasn't that the program was in a bad spot I I don't like when coaches say well yeah we had a huge culture shift we had to change everything we had no that that's that wasn't it at all they just had to see how I wanted to do things and as I got more comfortable with it we 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 started to to gain a little momentum and then we start winning a couple of games and just take off from there.
1: I haven't said this in a while, Brian hates when I say it, coach. You talk about those three sophomores that became juniors, became seniors this season, if we have a season, I have four starters returning from a two and twenty three team, but I have four starters have returning four starters? from a two and twenty three yeah. team so <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> well
2: well, I'll take you back to my kBCC days you know eight and twenty one my first year there, and I returned four starters on that not every kid (laughs) came back there but I I, there were four guys who came back and I can tell you they were a heck of a lot better that second year and a lot of it and the same with my time at Otsego we're 11 and 11 my first year in Otsego it's not a bad record but it is not blowing the socks off anything and the next year we go 19 and 2 but the the biggest thing that happened was players are returning in the same system that they played in a year ago Mm -hmm. and in both instances, those players played so much better their second year. And I've talked to so many coaches that in their first year uh, at one last year, I remember after a game saying, we're trying to build what you're doing in Otsego. And I said, I can tell you that your first year is going to be the hardest because you don't know the expectations of them and they don't know the expectations of you. Your second year will be a whole lot easier. I can't guarantee he's going to win a whole lot more games, but I know as a coach, he'll be a lot more comfortable. And so will the kids in his program. And and I've seen that in both places for myself.
1: Yeah. That's a great, that's a great perspective. I'm just hoping to get to that second season. If we ever so, play, because <laughs> right,
2: it was right. my,
1: my last year was my first year taking over this program, but uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so I want to go back. You were talking about that, that change that you made right away early in the season. Was it, was it, I don't know how to ask this was, did you sit down with your coaches immediately after that game or did you watch the film or was it just something intrinsically you were like, God, I just totally messed that up. Like to make a change so quickly, not a radical change, but to make that change that quickly, what, what was really the spark behind that change?
2: Well, I kind of felt it right after the, it's actually during the game, you know, in the fourth quarter, I see us (laughs) starting to make some mistakes and do some things And you got one of two ways to respond to it. You either can blame the players for making the mistakes, or you can look at yourself and say, How do we put our our players in a better position? And that question really was answered later that night as I'm thinking about it, as we look at some game tape, that kind of thing. Uh, What I say is, our players aren't in the wrong spots, they're not trying to do the wrong things, they're just exhausted. you know, they, they played the, I was playing a seven to eight man rotation at that time and we just couldn't keep up the pace and the intensity and the defensive pressure the way that we want to. Uh, So I I went to a 10 man game. We, we subbed five for five. A lot of times we had 11 kids on that team. Uh, Almost every game after that, I got all 11 kids in the game. Uh, And a couple of things happened. One is the players were started to buy into each other. It wasn't like a, you know, he's stealing my minutes kind of thing they, those kids genuinely bought into each other. And since they all knew that they were going to get a chance to be on the floor, practices became more competitive. Uh, and, and that was great. Now I haven't subbed five for five every year since then, but with that group, I had so many kids who were just kind of in that they're pretty good, but nobody's really great, but nobody's really bad. And it was hard to decide who should get that playing time. So after that game, I, I took a look at it and said, we, we need to do a better job of getting these guys in better shape and we need to do a better job of substituting the players. So my, my assistant coach is my dad. So I told him, you got to tell me. And so I know he's not you know afraid to say something to me. So he's going <laughs> to tell me. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of his job. Um, during that years when he saw a guy that was tired or he thought we need to make an adjustment, we, we did it, it right away. And that kept us in a lot of games and it, we, we press, all game now, all game long. So we press. We're trying to be in your face as much as we can, and that takes a lot of stamina and a lot of energy. So that really worked.
1: So now, when you have a disagreement, whose side does mom take?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she she is uh, she's a hundred percent supportive of me and isn't afraid <laughs> to tell him when he's wrong. That
1: <laughs> sounds like a good mom right there. A good mom.
2: Yeah, he he always tells me though that we our winning streak happened my first year. I didn't have an assistant coach. Uh, he he lived in northern Michigan at the time. They moved down here, and he's able to help me after after that first year. So he said, "Remember, you know your your winning streak didn't happen until you got me as your assistant coach." So he likes to help me stay grounded and say, "You don't think you you don't know as much as you think you do." So it's a lot of fun.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm struck again. We've known you now for about I don't know thirty minutes or so. You just seem again even keeled, solid. Know who you are, and now just getting bits and pieces of how your team plays. Like, like you mentioned, just we're we're pressing, we're in your face. So, where did you develop this philosophy? Where did you, did you pull it from, uh, Nolan Richardson here, this clinic here? Like, where did you develop?
2: how your kids play and then your philosophy. Well, it it starts back to when I played in high school and I played for Keith Haskey, and, uh, in, in Michigan to small schools, that name, you know, means something. Keith Haskey, you know, took Charlevoix high school and St. Francis high school out of Traverse city to the state final six times. He took uh, the boy side and the girls' side. Um, he actually, he took my team to the final four, um, when I was a senior, my sister played for him several years later, uh, they went to the state championship game, but then in, in the small schools in Michigan, they kind of know that name. We did a man-to-man press all game long. Now I don't press man-to-man. I, I tweaked it and changed it to fit the personnel that I have and the kids that, that we have in Otsego, uh, but the in your face mentality, the, you know, never give up, we're going we're gonna to continue to put pressure on them and, and see how long they can last. That comes from his coaching style. Um, now, when I went to college and played, we didn't press at all. So a lot of my offensive philosophy uh, is pulled from being with Dick Schiltz, um, who was there for, at KVCC for 32 years, and his was all about you share the ball, you find the open man, every person on the floor has to understand what a good shot is and when to take that shot. And so that's what we preach on offense. Um, so I've kind of taken both of them. And obviously there's lots of coaches who have influenced um, in in kind of a roundabout way, whether you read something, you watch something, but those two guys right there, that's my defensive philosophy. and My offensive philosophy come from them. And it's just been tweaked to fit our personnel every year.
1: Yeah. That's uh, my offensive philosophy is get the ball in bounds. That's, <laughs> That's our offensive philosophy right now. It's, if we can get it in bounds, it's easy to have a solid possession. That's
2: <laughs> well, the, the team that I took over from uh, in Otsego the year before, they, they had a couple of years in Otsego where they had a seven-footer come through, um, and he went on to play at Western Michigan University, Seth Dugan. And when you have a seven-footer in high school who's coordinated you, you can do a lot of things. Right. I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to lose games. You, you know, they played a lot of two, three zone. Um, I came that he graduated the next year. They're three and 18. They don't win very many. And then I come in and go 11 and 11 um, with that. That's really the same group of guys that, that they had. Um, but it, it, it's a process of, you talk about getting the ball in bounds, like, Hey, we, we run this offensive break for a reason there. Are, you go to these spots, the timing is there for a reason. And it's getting those kids to believe that that actually makes sense. Like we don't just do it once in a while. You don't just do it when you feel like it. Mm-hmm. This is what we do all the time. And it's like these baby steps, these little building blocks. We, we actually lost that year. I went 11 and 11. We lost five games by five or less points. And I think a lot of that had to do with, they weren't quite sure that they should, should or could win those games. And the next year, we had some belief in ourselves that, yeah, we can do this. Um, But there are definitely some building blocks there.
1: Yeah. But you talk about like the the timing of it and, and the spacing of it. And we go to these spots. I remember watching uh, football practice when I was at the university of South Carolina and, and Lou Holtz was talking to receivers about routes and he's like, you make the break at 12 yards, not at 10 and a half yards, not at 13 yards at 12 yards because the quarterback is throwing it to the spot, 12 yards down the field. And and I get that all the time with my players. I'm like, guys, that I'm telling you to stay in this spot for a reason or move to this spot. You don't, It's not near the block. It's not inside the paint. It's on the big rectangular block. Put your foot there. I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. if you put your foot there, you'll get the dump down pass. If you're too far away, you won't be able to get it. If you're too close, there won't be enough space, you know? And yeah, I think like really hammering home those things is like that. Like you said, that first year, that first two years, like over and over and over again this is the spot where you need to be and this is the timing of what we're looking for
2: yeah, i i talked so much about spacing my first year you, you can't be six feet apart from each other i mean if you can hand the ball off to the guy you're, you're too close to him mm-hmm. and then we'd have guards who want to drive down and they want to do these little dump passes or these little wraparound passes to look fancy and stuff so even if you make that pass what did the defense have to do turn around <laughs> I mean, th- there's now two people guarding that one person, um, so spacing was such a huge, I think, concept for the players. And once we started to get it, 12 to 15 feet away, we need to get off the three-point line a little bit, open up the passing lanes, uh, you know, give our post players some room to, to maneuver and to work. If you're constantly on the three-point line, that means the defense is crowding the paint right. area. <laughs> yeah, but that's something that we got better at, and again over time the player started to get it now we've got it built into our system where they start learning this stuff in the middle school and by the time they get up to the ninth grade they've got the basics and then our ninth grade coach uh, Brian Nguet does a fabulous job with them teaching them how do we put it all together it's not a short middle school season anymore you know we're, we're going to add more of the basics and get a real good you know uh, foundation and then at the JV level um they're, they're stepping it up a little bit more. Now it's a little bit more about competing and a lot. how do you uh, use the X's and O's and the strategies in your game to go to another level. And then by the time they get to me, they've got such a good foundation in the building blocks. Now it's how can we do it faster? How can we do it with mm-hmm. some space and pace? And uh, how can our defense become even more suffocating? Because you guys think you're playing hard. We're really <laughs> going to figure out what playing hard looks like um so the, it's it's a system that we built in place and put in place that i think our our players buy into it and i i joke with my coaches half joke saying if we get to play we're probably gonna have to play with masks this year can a team really press for four straight quarters you know as much as we <laughs> do and get up and down the floor as fast as we want to with a mask on we might have to just use our timeouts to, to give <laughs> breaks
1: so Ryan, I'm moving to Otsego, Michigan. I'm going to work <laughs> with Coach Dennis.
2: Okay, backing
0: right, up. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm in, and if ever if you ever needs an a, uh, I don't know an assistant AD to help, I'm, <laughs> I'm in for that. You know, uh, I'm, I'm sorry.
1: Well, Coach, we like to end on a fun question here. If I ask some of those guys that played for you on the the Kalamazoo Valley Community College eight and twenty one team, and I ask some guys <laughs> that played for you this year. Uh, what's the one thing Coach Dennis says over and over in practice or a game? What's that one mantra or one teaching point? It could be something funny. What's that one thing Coach Dennis said? I, if it's funny, it's going to be really dry, I can tell you. Right.
2: <laughs> no, it, I, I'm not that funny of a person, so I, it's not <laughs> going to be funny. Um, the At least not Seagull. I know I said it at KVCC, but I don't know if I said it a lot. But in Otsego, you know, we talk a lot about do 100% of your job and 10% of somebody else's. If you'll do 100% of yours and 10% of someone else's, we're going to be okay. And a lot of times we're referring to the defensive side of the game. Mm-hmm. where There's so many adjustments and there's so much. You, offense always has the advantage. So the defense is always reacting. Um, you've got to know what your job is 100% of the time. But when your teammate slips up, don't be afraid to step in and help them out 10% of the time. Um, so I, I say that over and over um, on the defensive side, and then our three R's of shooting. I constantly ask, the guys, what are the three three R's of a good shot? And it's it range, rhythm, and rebounders are the three things that we go after. Um, and if a kid takes a bad shot, rather than calling them out and telling them how bad of a shot it was, I just go over and I ask them, what are the three R's of shooting? And they they know what it is. And I say, all right, are you in range? Yeah, I was in range. Were you in rhythm? No, I was, I was off balance. All right, well, there we go. That wasn't a good shot for you. So, so I let them kind of decide for themselves. So those three things. Now, I do want to add a third one in there, not on my team. The other night we're sitting at the dinner table and my, my wife says, what's one thing that I say all the time? And so then we go around the table and they get to me and I'm like, I don't know. What do I say all the time? And my kids tell me it's opportunity, dad. You say opportunity all the time that's like what what do you mean we're well, always saying he's going to get his opportunity or when the opportunity comes he's got to be ready or you know and they go through all these instances of you say opportunity all the time so i i thought i heard that on the other podcast and i thought man that this speaks to what you guys are asking at home apparently i say opportunity a lot of times
1: oh i thought you were going to call out something your wife said all the time i thought i'm smarter
2: than that <laughs> 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 yeah. She asked me what the podcast was that I was going to be on. I'm sure she'll listen to it, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put myself out there, but I'll leave hers alone.
0: Well, that's a, it's a call back to episode 61 of Chris Mongelia director of operations for Princeton men's basketball opportunity. I, I love it. And, and coach, we, We can't thank you enough for taking this opportunity to come on this show with us. And uh, your social media presence is great. Giving back to coaches at Coach Matt Dennis um, on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Coach Matt Dennis again. But again, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been really, really enlightening for, for both of us. We'd really appreciate it.
2: Definitely. I appreciate you guys being on here real quick before we, we end it. Um, if coaches want to know more about me, they can definitely go to social media uh, and find me on most platforms at coach Matt Dennis. Uh, but they can go over to my website, coachmattdennis.com as well, which has, you know, a plethora of coaching information as well as a, a coaching lab that they can be a part of if they would like to. So I appreciate you guys having me though. It's been fun talking to you.
0: It's been great. i looking to, coaches improve themselves that's what we're trying to do That's what we're all trying to do but uh, coach we'll just go ahead and just wrap this one up at this point but uh, for my co-host chris de blasio i'm brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest game